by a show of hands, how many of you recently have taken a quiz or a test? All right, let's see. That's a lot of people. How many of you have coming up in the future a quiz, a test, a professional exam, anything like that? And how many of you may be worried about the test? Yeah. I used to get super stressed out during testing time, so much so I had to carry around with me a little Bible uh, so I could get it out and read it because I found tests to be really, really stressful. Which, of course, begs the question, why don't we just get rid of them? I mean, can I get an amen? Wouldn't it be great if there were no tests, if you could just learn material, go to school, learn stuff without having to actually go through the process of being tested about it? I mean, think of the time you could save. Think of the stress you wouldn't have to go through. I mean, why not get rid of tests? Well, given our subject this morning, I actually did a little research into why testing. And while I will admit there is lots of different opinions online, and the research shows lots of debate about how much to test and how to test, there was a decent level of consensus that there is some value to testing in our educational system. In fact, I found four reasons why testing is beneficial for the educational process. The first was that it allows the teacher to learn something. You didn't realize that. Testing is actually in part for teachers. <clears throat> what it allows teachers to learn is how much of the material their students have actually grasped. Teachers put a lot of time and energy and effort into communicating information and trying to help people to understand. We all think we've done a good job, but you can't know that until someone goes through a test. And then on the other side of the test, you realize, oh, they got it. They understood what I was trying to get across to them. They understood what uh, the Lord was trying to say. The second benefit that I found in the research for why testing is valuable is it allows the student to learn something about themselves, to see how much they've grown and developed. I think, for example, of a math teacher who's got to teach fractions. And I think, is there anything more confusing for an elementary school student who's trying to figure things out than fractions? And you think about the fact that most of us were super confused when we went through that. But if you compare Lord of the pre-test, before you started learning about fractions, to the post-test, you realize, whoa, I learned something. I learned something along the way. I'm not where I used to be. That's really encouraging. It's encouraging to realize, wow, something has changed. I understand something that I didn't before. A third benefit that I found was that testing helps highlight when you and I might believe something that's not true. So if, for example, if you think that being a veterinarian means caring for veterans, when you take the vocab test and you put that down, and that gets marked wrong, you will find out, hey, no veterinarian is a doctor for animals. Tests actually help highlight where we might be incorrect in our thinking. And then finally, and this I think was the most important reason for testing, 
is that tests make clear what is the most important aspects of the material. For example, if you have a history teacher, and the history teacher's test is essays about themes throughout history and how that relates to things going on in the present day and not a bunch of dates and times, what that communicates to you is that your history teacher thinks that what's most important about history are bigger themes and how it connects to today and not simply memorizing dates and times. And the test shows you what's the most important information. Now I say all of that because this morning we're going to be talking about how God tests us. Yes, you heard me correctly. God administers tests. This is not an invention of modern educators. One of the blessings of going through the book of Genesis is we get to go back to the beginning and see when things started to have a better understanding of how and why they exist. And our passage this morning speaks of how God regularly tests his children. And so we want to look together at what does it mean to be tested by God and how might that actually be a blessing. So let me invite you to take a Bible and turn to the book of Genesis, chapter 22. Genesis 22, it's page 16 in the church Bibles. We're actually going to look at Genesis 22 and 23 today, and we're going to see two tests in the life of Abraham. Genesis 22 and 23, page 16 in the church Bibles. We start with test number one, which is in Genesis 22. Sometime later, God, what? Tested Abraham. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac. And he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham, Father? Yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and the wood are here, Isaac said. But where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. 
He bound his son Isaac and laid him on top of the altar, on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Whew, God's tests are tough. What's God doing here? He's testing Abraham. What he's asking for from Abraham is something so incredibly precious to him. Now let's not forget that Genesis 22 comes right after Genesis 21. Last week, Abraham already had to give up in some way his son Ishmael. In obedience to the Lord, he had to be willing to send him away. But now here, this test is even harder. Isaac is the miracle baby. He's the one on whom all of Abraham's hopes and dreams for the future rest. <clears throat> He's the one that Abraham has prayed for and longed for and desired with all his heart. He's called his one and only son because, well, Ishmael's gone now. It's just Isaac. Isaac's the only one left. And the test is, is God asks for Isaac back. Now the good news is the angel of the Lord is right there to make sure that Abraham does not harm this child in the least. But he doesn't know that when the test begins. And God is asking from Abraham for this, the greatest of blessings, this miracle that God gave to him. See, the problem with Abraham and the problem with you and I is sometimes we fall so in love with the blessing, we lose sight of the one who gave it to us. And the test that Abraham is going through here is a choice. Abraham, who do you love more? That beautiful child I gave you? Or me? God often does this. He often asks us for things that are near and dear to our heart. Sometimes he asks for that down payment that we've been saving up so much for, for that house we've been longing for. He asks if we'll give it to him. Sometimes he asks us to stand up in our class and Take a stand for Jesus, even though it's going to cost us the respect of our classmates and perhaps even some friends. Sometimes he asks us if we're willing to remain single for a season or longer because of being devoted to him. A down payment for a house is a blessing from God. The respect of your friends and your class is a blessing from God. Marriage is a blessing from God. But there's always a danger that the blessing becomes the thing that we love more than the one who gives it. And so the test Abraham 
And the test you and I often have to go through is God asks for some of those things back. If you've ever been through a test like that, you know just the absolute, oh, please, God, please don't ask for this. Just the pain. The rationalization, no, there's no way he'd be asking for this. There is no way he's asking for this. And you look for every possible way in which you've misunderstood God. You might know the agony of begging God, Lord, anything else but this. Anything but this. Because it hurts your heart. But the crazy thing about this test, it's not meant to harm Abraham. It's meant to bless him. And we see in the text that the test does what tests are supposed to do. Look at verse 12. Do not lay a hand on the boy, God said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God. Now I know you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. The teacher has learned something about the student. The teacher can see how far the student has come. God comes to understand how much Abraham loves him. Now, of course, God already knew. He knows all things, right? God knows everything. There is nothing hidden from God. God knows not only the possible things, he knows the hypothetically possible things. So how in this world can God say, now I know? I actually don't know the answer to that question. But the text seems to imply that the teacher has been blessed by the student going through this. And so I'm going to take it at face value that when God says, now I know that you fear me, that this test was somehow a blessing for God. I think Abraham learned something about himself. We've been with Abraham since Genesis 12 and we've watched his story and we've seen times he's really struggled to believe about this baby. He struggled to believe that God is gonna give him an heir. He thought for a while it was gonna be Eleazar of Damascus. He wondered if it was gonna be Lot, his nephew. And then when he couldn't in his mind figure out how God might give him a son, he agreed to Sarah's plan that he sleep with Hagar and have a, have a child through her. And that's how Ishmael was born. None of those were acts of faith. And Abraham had failed to exercise faith over and over again. But look at how far he's come. Look at how much he's grown. He's not only willing to believe that God can take care of this situation. It says in the New Testament that he actually thought that if he put Isaac to death that God would simply raise him from the dead. Imagine the kind of faith to say to his servants, we're going and we're gonna come back. Man, how affirming this must be for Abraham to see how much he's learned and how great his faith has become. I think the test also did the third thing that tests do, which is, is it protected Abraham from believing a lie that you and I regularly believe. 
If you're a parent or a grandparent, if you're a youth leader, if you're concerned about children or the next generation, you and I are extremely susceptible to the lie that our main job is to protect them from harm. Abraham's job here is actually to lead Isaac into harm. And the test tells him that if he thought his job was to protect his child from ever going through anything difficult, to protect his child, to helicopter in and make sure that nothing bad ever happened, he doesn't understand what it means to be a parent. And so the test reveals the truth that our job is not to protect the next generation from anything bad ever happening to them. Our job is to obey the Lord and to follow him. And he will sometimes call those that we love and are responsible for into very difficult and even harmful, potentially harmful situations. Because in those harmful situations is when God gets to be the rescuer, the savior, the one who shows up for our children, for the youth that we're responsible for, for those that we love. And then finally, the test does the most important thing, the thing that tests are supposed to do. They show us what it is that we're supposed to get. Keep reading with me, verse 13. Abraham looked up, and there in a thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. I just want to stop here for a moment. This part of this story always is super compelling to me. The idea that they're up on a mountain and that when Abraham set out, it took him three days to get to the top of the mountain. I just think it's really powerful that three days earlier, God probably whispered in the ram's ear, hey, you got a journey you got to make. That somehow the ram ended up at the top of that mountain at the same time Abraham and Isaac. And I just picture in my mind up one side of the mountain are coming Abraham and Isaac and up the other side of the mountain is coming a ram. What a great God. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. The angel of the Lord called Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies and through your offspring all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. The test reveals what is most important, which is Abraham's relationship with God. God is his shield. God is his very great reward. God is his protector. God is the one who will take care of him. God is the one who will bless him. The truth of the matter is children do grow up and they have to leave. The truth of the matter is spouses sometimes sin against us and are unfaithful. The truth of the matter is is jobs sometimes fire us. The truth of the matter is churches sometimes let us down. But the one person who will never fail us, the one who will never abandon us, 
is God. And when God asks you for the blessings back, what he is asking you is to let go of the thing you're holding on so tightly to so you can take his hand. The test shows what's most important. Abraham did not exist to have a child. Abraham existed to have a relationship with God. And the test reminded Abraham, this is what it's about. This is what you really want. The one thing in all of life that will actually satisfy, the one thing that we were designed for is a relationship with God. And as wonderful as the blessings are, they can't satisfy in the same way that he can. Genesis 23 is actually a second test for Abraham. It's not identified explicitly as a test in the same way that Genesis 22 is, but there's no way to read Genesis 22 and Genesis 23 back to back and not see the parallels and realize there's a second test for Abraham to pass. Genesis 23 is important for us to round out our understanding of what it means to be tested by God because the truth of the matter is if you only had Genesis 22, you and I might come away with the impression that God's tests are only ever hypothetical. That when push comes to shove, you won't actually have to sacrifice something. That when push comes to shove, you won't actually have to give up the down payment. You won't actually have to work at a job that's incredibly difficult for you. You won't actually have to go through a hard relationship. If Genesis 22 was all we had, then I could simply whisper to you today, don't be afraid. When the time comes, he won't actually ask for the child or the money, or the job, or your reputation. He just wants to know if you're willing. But Genesis 23 tells us that sometimes God's tests do end up costing us something fierce. Chapter 23, verse 1. Sarah lived to be 127 years old, she died at Kirith Araba, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. And Abraham went to mourn for Sarah and to weep over her. Then Abraham rose from beside his dead wife and spoke to the Hittites. He said, I am a foreigner and a stranger among you. Sell me some property for a burial site here so I can bury my dead. And the rest of the chapter is about the negotiations between Abraham and the Hittites for him to pay 400 shekels of silver to purchase a burial plot for his beloved wife. Now, how is the death of Sarah a test for Abraham? You might think, well, there's nothing Abraham can do about it. She died. He can't bring her back from the dead. I would argue... It's true he cannot bring her back from the dead. But in his mind, he doesn't have to let God take her. Meaning, he could just refuse to accept that this is the truth. 
he could fight against this reality. This is his wife. This is his soulmate. This is the person that I love in this story. He thinks is so beautiful at age 90, he doesn't want to let anybody be around her. This is a person who he has journeyed with. Yes, there have been fights. Yes, there have been disagreements. But he is one flesh with this woman. This is everything to him. And the test is will he love God more than he loves his wife? We say, well, how do I know he passed the test? Well, if in his heart... Abraham was refusing to submit to God's will to take Sarah. I think we would have read something in this chapter that sounded like, oh no, Lord, you can't take her. You've already taken Ishmael. I already went through that test with Isaac. Not Sarah. Abraham is going to live another 38 years after she dies. He's not a few weeks. He is going to be a widower for a long time. If it was bitterness and anger, you would hear him venting to the Lord. That's actually what all the stuff about negotiating a field is meant to show. You read it and you think, what in the world? Why are we spending all this time talking about these negotiations? Because on this level, Abraham might actually have a complaint against God if he was harboring bitterness and anger in his heart, if he thought that God was not treating him well, if he was angry about God taking Sarah, here's how I think it would show up. I think he would say to God, after all I've done for you, I came to a land I didn't want to come to. I am a foreigner and a stranger in this land, and you told me that this land belonged to me, and now I got to pay money for a burial plot? The whole land is supposed to be mine. And I got nothing. That's what I think bitterness and anger would have looked like. Abraham is purchasing land that he already owns. The God of the universe has given him the whole land. But this is the way God has made it to be. And so he pays 400 shekels of silver to purchase a burial plot for his wife. This is how I know that he's passed this test. He doesn't like it. He is cut to the heart. But he's choosing God even over the love that he had for his wife. And the test does what tests are supposed to do. It shows Abraham how much he's grown. We've already seen Abraham fail two tests when it came to trusting God with Sarah. In Egypt and with Abimelech. Both times he doesn't trust that God can take good care of her and so he lies about her. But look here, he's willing to trust God with her very life. I think, well done, Abraham. Well done to get to this point. The test also shows a lie that you and I are tempted to believe. And the lie is, is that the goal in life is to keep living as long as possible. That the goal in life somehow is for two spouses to die on the exact same day. For the goal in life is for everyone to make it to 100. 
We might think that, but the test reveals to us that's not true. God says, precious in his sight. Precious in his sight is the death of one of his saints. The truth is, our job is to live life for as many days as God gives it to us and then to spend eternity with him. And also, the test shows again, Abraham, what's most important. When Sarah dies, Abraham could have spent the next 38 years fighting with God about what he did. God, I would have been happy if you would have left me my wife. God, I would have felt fulfilled if you hadn't taken her away. God, I wouldn't be lonely if I had her to talk to. Instead, what he gets is what's most important in life, which is God himself walking with Abraham each step of the way. In Genesis 24, God's going to help Abraham miraculously find a wife for his son Isaac. That's something Sarah probably would have helped him with. She's not there, but he has God. In Genesis 25, we're going to find that Abraham actually remarries and has six more kids. I don't think any of that was a replacement for Sarah. But I do think it showed that by choosing God, he got to continue to experience blessings from God all the way until he took his last breath. I said there were two tests in these passages. There's actually a third. It's connected more with Genesis 22 than with Genesis 23. And it's not a test where God gives, of a test that God gives to Abraham. It's a test that God gives to himself. It happens on this exact same mountain where Abraham is tested in Genesis 22. It just happens about 2,000 years after Genesis 22. The reason why God picked a very particular mountain for Abraham to go through this test is because God knew that 2,000 years later he would come back to that same mountain. And this time it would be God testing himself. And the test that God gave to himself was would he be willing to give his one and only son so that you and I could have life? There was no other way for our sins to be taken care of. There was no other way for us to be able to make it through death. Only one way. And so God brought himself back to that very mountain, that exact mountain in Jerusalem. And when it was time for his test, he chose to give up his one and only son so that we could have life. This tested or proved God's love for us. And it shows what's most important to God. It's you 
and it's me. That what he most wants is a relationship with you. What he most wants is to know you. What he most wants is to spend eternity with you. What he most wants is to bless you. It's not the birds, it's not the stars, it's not the dogs. He loves all creation. But you, you are most important to him. And so on this very mountain, 2,000 years ago from our time, 2,000 years forward from Abraham's time, God put himself to the ultimate test. And by doing so, he demonstrated just how much he loves you. Now, how might God be testing us today? Well, COVID's a test. I think it's a pretty major test from God. Lots of stuff is taken away. We've been asked through the pandemic, are we going to love God or are we going to love ourselves? Are we willing to love others and put their interests above our own or are we going to fight for our own rights? Are we going to love God enough to submit to government and submit to church leadership? Or are we going to say, nobody's telling me what to do? Are we going to love God enough not to love our lives so much to shrink back from death? Are we going to love God enough to continue to gather together even though there may be some dangers in doing that? These are tests. Tests designed to show what's most important. We celebrated baptism this morning. Baptism is a test. Do you love God enough to get up in front of a group of people that you might be scared of speaking in public in front of? Are you willing to let go of what people might think of you, your reputation, and share publicly your sins, your failings, your shortcomings, so that Jesus can be glorified? It's a test. Do you love Jesus enough to follow him in the waters of baptism? Today is the first Sunday of Lent. Lent is a test. It commemorates the season of testing that Jesus himself went through in the wilderness. And the reason we give up stuff during Lent, whether it's a meal or a certain kind of food or a phone or social media or an extra hour of sleep in the mornings or whatever it is, it's a test. Do you want to? Sleep is a blessing. Food is a blessing. Social media can be a blessing. Phones can be a blessing. Are you willing to let go of the blessing so that you can hold more tightly to the blesser? That's what Lent is. So the question for you and I today is how might God be testing us? We might think that God's the kind of teacher that just teaches the material and says, I don't worry about the test. No, the idea of testing came from God. It's hard. It's stressful. But it's designed to be a blessing. If God let you and I hold on to the blessings more than we hold on to him, it will not ultimately be for our good. And so pretty regularly, 
God asks for things. Sometimes you just have to be willing and you don't actually have to give it. But sometimes you do. Now, as I thought about how to close this service and this sermon, I want to tell you a story about somebody in our church who was tested this week. This week on Tuesday, Howard Timmer died. Howard is such a dear man. Uh, I loved him. He was a part of Calvary Church since before I was born. <laughs> For those of you who knew Howard, you loved him too. He's a beautiful, beautiful person. Quirky, but beautiful. <laughs> but nobody loved him more than his wife Arlene and his children. And this week, Arlene sent out an email about Howard dying. And I thought, if Abraham had access to email, I bet this is what his email would have sounded like when Sarah died. And so I asked Arlene if it'd be okay if I read her email. And she said, yeah, that would be all right. The email she sent out to a group of us that had been praying for them. She said, Pastor Jim had a wonderful message this past Sunday about crying to God. And cry I did, giving Howard to Jesus and his will. Pastor Josh and Pastor Dane were up today and prayed that God would take him home in his timing. Cindy and I were there as they were praying, sharing the gospel passages and then praying again. While they were reading scripture, Cindy kicked my foot and pointed to the information on the screen. Zero, 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 zero. And I glanced at the screen and said, and praise God, he is with Jesus. Each of our kids and family had seen him before the vent tube was removed and told him that they loved him and urged him to go to Jesus. This morning when I greeted him and he opened his eyes, I kissed him and I told him to go see Jesus and he nodded yes. I had asked him if he heard any place and he nodded no. Now he is with Jesus and I am just delighted. No more sorrow, no more tears, no more pain for either of us. Arlene. That's a test. It's a test to be willing to entrust to Jesus someone that Arlene would say was the biggest blessing in her life. But the really, really amazing thing, and the reason why she can actually, she's still crying. She cried when I called her to ask her if I could share this. What she means by no more tears, no more pain, is this is a reference to the fact that on that mountain 2,000 years ago, when God gave his only son, he did it so that Howard and Arlene could be together forever. I think to myself, Abraham was willing to let go of Isaac. Abraham had to go, let go of Sarah. But think about it. Today, right now, Abraham, Isaac, and Sarah are together with Jesus in heaven forever. What is most important is the fact that God loves you.
And yes, there is struggles and there is suffering in this life. But God asked for Sarah back so that someday Abraham and today Abraham and Sarah could enjoy being together in heaven forever and ever and ever. The same will be true for Howard and Arlene. And the same will be true for all who choose to accept Jesus as Lord. God loves you so much that he sent his only son to die for you so that through Jesus he might give you never-ending life. There is nothing, nothing, nothing in this world, not even the blessings that God himself gives that are as great as God himself. Let's pray together. Thank you so much for joining us for this podcast from Calvary Church. We hope this message has brought the light and hope of God's presence into your life, refreshing your soul for the journey the Lord has you on. If you have a spiritual need or would like to connect further with the work God is doing through Calvary Church, seek us out online at calvarygr.org. On our website, you can also find an archive of previous messages from this series. Thanks for listening.